0: Welcome to Listener, a crew podcast. I'm your host, Sam Holland. I'm a student here in Portland, Oregon at Western Seminary. So today's Halloween episode is an interview featuring Dr. Gary Brashears. Enjoy the show. Okay, Gary Brashears, trick or treat. Halloween <laughs> is coming and I've been wanting to talk with you about Halloween. I was thinking just earlier today that when I was a kid, my it was in the 80s, and my parents had just become Christians, and they went through a pretty dramatic conversion. We didn't celebrate Halloween at all growing up. And I think it was sort of culturally, that's what was happening in evangelical churches at that time. Yeah. So we didn't dress up. We didn't go trick-or-treating. It was evil and bad. and And so that's how I grew up. And contrast that to today, where my kids definitely dress up and they go trick-or-treating and my church has a big harvest party. And, mm-hmm. um, but I always want to make sure my kids are wearing something not too scary. Good. So there's Good. that, yeah. There is still is that tension I feel. Yeah. And I don't know if it's. Um, something that's real, or if it's just my childhood, you know, that I was trained like, well, don't get too scary, you know? And so I just wonder, what is Halloween like for you? You've been through all these changes and seen the church do different things during Halloween. So we want to hear a little bit about that. Okay.
1: Well, from one side, well, let's say it this way. There are two sides to Halloween. One side is the kids party. And I think your kids should go trick-or-treating. I think they should do it. When kids come to my house, I try to give them the best candy ever. And I also, every kid that comes to my door gets a God bless you as they walk away. Every single Yep. Every single kid. I've never had anybody unhappy about that. Sometimes just the kids. Other times parents. If the parents are out nearby, I'll always try to interact with them.
0: And you live in Portland. I
1: live in Portland. Yeah. And so I just, I just figure that's what it is. I'm going to be who I am. And that's the fun side of Halloween. And I think we should, our kids should have fun. Whether it's a harvest party or a trunk and treat or whatever we do. The other side of that, it's an extremely evil time. And it's bizarre to me, at least here in Portland, I see people celebrating death in the most macabre possible ways. And I, if I can, I say, why are you doing this? Oh, it's just all in fun. Well, actually, it's not. There is a satanic side. This is All Hallows' Eve. That's the positive side. But this is also the high holy day, a high unholy day of, this, of the pagan calendar. And it is the time to celebrate the evil that the whole demonic, satanic realm does. I worked a lot with satanic ritual abuse folk. Mm-hmm. And this is the time... Well, I'll just tell you one quick story. A woman I dealt with, it would have been in 1992, so it's a long time ago. I met her, and because she was in deep anxiety, it did through a counselor friend of mine, and as it turned out, we found it later, is she was slated to be sacrificed on Halloween in 1992. And it was her, it was a particular year that was numer- numerologically significant. And her goal, or her out, her well, her, her objective was to be sacrificed. She was 28, I think, that year. Mm-hmm. And instead of her being sacrificed her blood bubbling out on a satanic altar, uh, we were in her apartment not far from the seminary here, a bunch of us in a circle holding hands, singing. it's so gr- good to be a part of the family of God. And, yeah, there is an absolute dark evil side to the satanic world.
0: So our satanic... Rituals and sacrifices actually happening in Portland? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, without doubt. Uh, In fact, they are more open now than they were 20 years ago. What was happening totally under wraps, under all kinds of protection, is now happening fairly easily. And you can see stuff posted on YouTube. I don't do any of the dark net stuff, but it's all over the place there. And yeah, it's real. Uh, it's usually presented as a game, but there's an abs real side of it. And if you're in a, if you're in some of the places that are more pagan, uh, we had a thing here called Halsey Square a while back, and it was a place where a lot of immigrants came, and particularly from Southeast Asia. And they were routinely sacrificing chickens to the demons. They're in a big apartment complex, uh, and I've I'd lived near Mount Tabor here, and if you go up on Mount Tabor in one of the high uh, one of the unholy days of the pagan calendar, there'll be stuff going on up on Mount Tabor because it's a high place. I've been up there and seen it. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's real. Uh, and if you look for it, it's not hard to find. I just, with my kids, I wanted to be them to be sure that they knew there was a dark evil side to this, but we bring Jesus into, and we celebrated, uh, Halloween, the night before All Saints Day, and we celebrated as a day dedicated, or an evening dedicated to Jesus, and we had a lot of fun doing it.
0: Mm. Okay, which day is All Saints Day? And is that connected with Day of the Dead? Is that the, is All Saints Day the Catholic holiday?
1: Yeah. Yeah, All Saints Day is the Catholic holiday. It's November 1st, and the evening before, in the way it's done, it's like Mardi Gras, You have the huge debauch celebration on the evening before Lent begins. Mm -hmm. Well, all Halloween, or Halloween, all Hallows' Eve, is the time for the demons to come out for a crazy debauched time. And then All Saints Day is on on the next day, November 1st. Uh, We just brought Jesus into the night as well and celebrated there.
0: Now, there have been a couple movies out lately that have to do with um, Day of the Dead and mm-hmm. sort of the tradition of remembering your ancestors. Right. My understanding is remembering them in a way that would even keep them alive. If, if you, One of the movies is if you're remembering your ancestors, then it's they're living on. I don't know if they actually believe they, they are living mm-hmm. on or... Um, what that means. But my kids have been really involved with the Day of the Dead celebrations because they're in a Spanish immersion program where we live. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that Day of the Dead and kind of the implications of remembering your ancestors? Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. That varies a lot. And if you get people that believe that and actually practice what they're doing is they believe that the dead people are still walking around the earth. If you're in Asian communities, traditional Asian religions, that's the day to go celebrate, not that particular day, but their tomb-sweeping day is a time to go uh, remember and to pacify the spirits of dead ancestors so they can get peace and move on to the next place. Uh, The Hispanic Day of the Dead is a similar kind of thing. It's to make peace with your ancestors so they can move on. And a lot of traditions around that, for most time, it's just a fun party day. But there's also a real spirit day. Now, I don't think they're actually communicating with dead ancestors. I think they're communicating with the demonic spirits. Mm. But there is an evil side to that as well.
0: So you mentioned that sometimes you'll just ask people around Portland, why are you celebrating yep. deaths and... Yep darkness and evil. And people will say, well, it's fun. But, you know, your concern is, well, it's also real and that people would know that. But can you say more about why do we like to be scared? I mean, even, (laughs) you know, it's fun to scare each other and to sometimes see a movie that's a little bit scary, as long as it's not going to give me nightmares. I want to be thrilled or startled or Kept in suspense about something that might be scary. Why is that about humans?
1: <laughs> I I will have to say I don't know why people <laughs> want to go to horror movies. I mean, because you don't. Oh go my to gosh, them. I, I, know don't, true. I don't. I uh, don't. I'm I'm non by theological conviction, but because I spend so much time dealing with really really hard stories, to me violence is never an entertainment thing. Uh, violence is never something. To do in my imagination, I have to go into violent spaces, in the name of Jesus, and I'll go there. But to make it entertainment, it just so, it's just so—it's so wrong to be entertained by a dead body and and somebody being killed and blood flying everywhere. It just everything in it against me. Uh, I can't. I was at a. Uh, thing with a group of men here recently and they were doing shooting range type things. So it was a competition. You had a six shooter and a uh, a cock type rifle and then a shotgun and you're supposed to use the three different types of weapons, that kind of stuff. I left. Mm. A gun to me is a weapon that... It's a weapon. It's not a toy. And I just can't be a part of that. Now that's Gary and I'm weird. (laughs) And uh, there are a lot of reasons for that. But... To my judgment, to celebrate death uh, is just not a thing to do. So, and I uh, there's a restaurant I go to. The woman who is the manager, good friend, uh, believer, we helped her get deeper with Jesus as a part of being at the restaurant for our preaching team. But she'd decorate. She would decorate every year with some really, really ugly stuff. And I, Mary, why are you doing this? Oh, it's so fun. Yeah, but why death? You know that you can celebrate Halloween with stuff that's not dead type stuff oh lighten up Gary she said and uh, I just I just don't get it frankly
0: okay so switching gears a little bit Gary you mentioned that you spend a lot of time with hard stories can you tell us more about how did that become part of your world
1: (laughs) (laughs) well I've got this spirit that really cares about hurting people and I've cared about that since I was a kid and what I find is that people who are hurting, word kind of gets around, and they show up. And so it started back when I started here at Western, long, well, Western did, and just I just would ask people when, I, when I'd hear something hard, I'd just ask a follow-up question, and it's just stunning how many people have hard things and nobody believes them. When I get in the spirit-type stuff, the demonic kind of stuff, What I find is most people just simply don't believe it. If somebody gets a hint that there's a demonic involvement in somebody's life, they're having demon dreams or they see demons in the night or they experience uh, they've been in a ritual, maybe in a frat house or something like that. Most people just laugh it off. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. But there's a reality to it, too. And when I do the follow up question, when somebody says, Yeah, we were at the party last night and we did, and then they name some practice they've done. And I say, I would just follow up and say, well, what was that like for you? And when they realize I'm taking them seriously, the whole tenor changes and they begin to tell, I was scared out of my mind of what happened. Yeah, what happened? And there we go.
0: Okay. So you mentioned frat house rituals.
1: Well, I mentioned frat house because I'm a guy. I'm sure it's not just frat <laughs> houses.
0: <laughs> but would you say fraternities and sororities? Is this, I'm, I was in a sorority in college and there was definitely, we would sort of pray to Hera or chant something yep. to Hera. And I remember thinking, well, this is kind of different. So do you think that that is actually something dark and demonic? Uh,
1: it sure can be. The, the gods, to use a biblical term for them, the Elohim, uh, include not only Yahweh and Michael, it also includes Moloch and Chemish and Baal and all of them, the demonic gods, and those gods are real. Most Americans I find don't believe that, but when I'm in Uganda or Taiwan or Philippines, they totally believe it. And the Hispanic culture believes it too, on the whole, uh, because they are uh, well, they've got the background of the the religions. And they believe the demons are real, too. They don't call them demons. But yes, those when we're doing those kind of things, many are doing it. And they actually don't believe there's anything there. But they're still doing chants to demon gods. And I just think that's a bad thing to do. So I wasn't in a frat part uh, when I was in college or anything. But I was around those kinds of things. And even then, when I wasn't wasn't sophisticated, I just, I don't think this would make good sense. And I just eh, I just think I'll stay away from this and I never got involved with it but I had friends who did and I've seen some people get deeply involved in demonic stuff through entrance things which are just a a party that happens at college.
0: So you said it's a it's <clears throat> a bad thing to do. Is it a bad thing to do if you've given your life to Christ or if you haven't given your life to Christ or is it just bad to do? I mean, aren't we indwelt with the Holy Spirit, like scripture says, or can, we talked about this a little bit in your spiritual warfare class last summer, can an evil being still get a foothold in the soul of someone who has given their life to Christ?
1: Huge theological debate. <laughs> I We are uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Scripture is really clear about that. Second Corinthians 6, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So no doubt on that. The debate is whether uh, if you've got a Holy Spirit, can a demonic spirit uh, be an in, inside my body? And to my judgment, I don't even know. Scripture doesn't say one way or the other. What I do know and Scripture warns about is don't make allegiances. Don't make agreements with demonic spirits. That's what's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in specific. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So what happens if I start hanging out with a drug dealer and start doing stuff with, with a drug dealer, I can make an allegiance with a drug dealer. It can get me in real trouble. I think hanging out with a demon, I can make an allegiance, an agreement, and start believing what the thing is saying and acting on it. It did not have any authority to do that in my life. But if I let it have that influence in my life, I can get really hooked deeply into demonic kinds of things. And it'll take advantage of those things, I think.
0: Okay, so I want to circle back to when you mentioned the word Elohim. Before I took your class this summer, I always thought Elohim was the Hebrew word for God. It is. But when when I took your class this summer, we read a book called The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser, who is a Hebrew scholar Mm -hmm. and who spent 15 years studying spiritual... Would you call it spiritual warfare in the Old Testament, or no, just the, the, the unseen realm the unseen in the realm. in the Old Testament? Yeah. And his book pointed out that the word Elohim can mean God or plural gods. Right. So uh, that was a new translation uh, that to me, but I'm a new seminary student, so that's not a big deal. But um, he went on to talk about things like. The Divine Council. Yep. W- when he uses the word Elohim, can you talk a little bit about that theory of the Divine Council mm-hmm. and what your current thoughts are on that theory?
1: <laughs> well, I'm part of the Bible Project crowd, and for those who listen to the Bible Project podcast, uh, you will have heard Tim and John talking about some of this as they've exploring this. So I'll just refer you to the Bible Project podcast, and he's undoing that. Uh, the divine council is just God and His hosts. So you see the Lord of Hosts, uh, and when you see that, that's the angels, the God and the angels. That's divine council. Is God has angels around Him, and occasionally we see conversations recorded in Scripture where God is talking to the divine council. The one with Micaiah, I think, it's Second Kings chapter twenty-two. Uh, where God he wants to whack Ahab. And so he asked the angels, hey, anybody got an idea on how I can cause him to... And one of the angels said, well, I'll be a deceiving spirit to him. And God says, oh, really, great idea. Okay, go do that. Well, I'm being a little bit lighthearted on the picture, but that's basically what it is. It's God getting advice from an angel. And then the angel goes and becomes a deceiving spirit, and Ahab ends up getting killed through his prophets misleading him. But God warns him in the process through the prophet Micaiah, hey, your prophets are listening to a lying spirit. And he still goes and does it. It's a bizarre story. Uh, Psalm 82 talks about Yahweh and the other, I think, gods, the other angels. So in that divine counsel, uh, you have a group of angel beings who are—they are messengers for God. They go and do things for God, uh, and that's what we call the divine counsel. And the word Elohim is just God in, in Hebrew, just like God is God in—because God could be—it could be Yahweh or it could be Kali the, one of the or Vishnu, the, the Hebrew gods, or Zeus, or uh, those can all be God— and same way in the Bible, the word Elohim includes Yahweh as a spiritual being. Of course, he's the spiritual being, the maker of heaven and earth. But Michael and Gabriel and Satan and Moloch, those are all Elohim as well.
0: So if the divine counsel theory is true and God is talking to angels in these passages, what are the implications for us and why isn't that? Why is this the first I'm hearing of this? Why uh, is this not a more common translation
1: or theory? Well, first, uh, speaking to people here in America, uh, we have the idea that there really isn't a God. We're fundamental naturalists. Maybe there's a God who created way back when, but he has nothing to do with this world. That's what we're taught in school all the time. So the fact that we as Christians believe that that Yahweh is a real God, heaven and earth, that he's triune, that he cares about what goes on in this world, that he comes and helps people, that's absolutely radical in our worldview. Uh, but then what's happened is, oh a couple hundred years ago in the Enlightenment, it came back to what we call a strict monotheism. There's exactly one God. and if you're a Hindu and you're moving toward God, you're moving toward the same God that a Christian is moving toward. We just see him in different ways and give him different names and you have the story of the elephant, one guy grabs a leg and one of them grabs the side and, and they're all the same God. they're just they seem to be different. So that monotheism, that strict monotheism, there's only one God when you approach him from different directions. If you're in Africa or Asia or other parts of the world, there are many gods. They're at war with each other, and you've got to line up with the right God or you can get in real trouble. We're neither of those. As uh, Biblicists, we believe there's one God, heaven, maker of heaven and earth, but he has these angel-level uh, servants. Hebrews 1.14 says they're ministering spirits. Uh, That just do the bidding of God. And occasionally, we get these pictures of Him talking among them, and that's what we call the Divine Council.
0: So, these other religions and other places in the world where people are worshiping many gods and those gods have power, they're right. That's correct. They they are, so you're saying they are worshiping little g gods who have some extent of power. And see, this is totally different from what I grew up mm-hmm. understanding. I thought that, oh, they're worshiping nothing. There's yep. either God or Satan. So, yeah, I don't know what my question <laughs> is, but...
1: Let <laughs> me the question you're not asking, Sam.
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. What happens there is I was taught that there's only one God and the other gods really don't have any power. But if I go to Exodus chapter 7... Aaron and Moses turn a staff into a serpent. That's pretty amazing. I've never seen anybody do anything like that. But the the magicians for Pharaoh do exactly the same thing by their secret arts, is called. What it is, it's their magic where they connect in with the Egyptian gods, and they're powerful enough they can turn staff into serpent. These gods are powerful. I I was in Africa, Uganda, a while back, and a Christian friend of mine was talking. growing up in his village, and he talked to this particular witch doctor. And without even thinking about it, he said, yeah, he was powerful, and he could call fire down from heaven. And I thought, wow, that sounds pretty powerful. (laughs) So he's a good friend. I said, well, Julius, like, really? Oh, yeah. He said, I mean, it was just a fact for him that this witch doctor could call down fire from heaven, some lightning bolt type thing. Well, he's doing it by the secret power of his God of the gods, uh, and they really are real. So here in the United States, in the Western world in general, Satan hides behind science to do his work that way. Other places is much more obvious. But the the gods, uh, Kali and Vishnu and Brahma, I just use the Hindu names because they're well known to us, they are real beings, and they're quite powerful, and they're trying to rob Yahweh of the worship due him for their own purposes, in the short term, it can be pretty fun stuff. it can give you power and knowledge, but in the long run, they give you death.
0: Have you become more convinced of the of good and evil and the cosmic battle going on through your work with individuals and helping people um, with demonic oppression?
1: Mm-hmm. As I came up here and started teaching, Uh, I had people come in and they were talking about encounters they'd have with demonic beings. And I had a biblical framework, but not, not really a cognitive framework for it. And I had to develop that, that the demons really are real. They're powerful, they're malicious, they're personal, and they want to exploit, empower our stuff for their purpose. And they will exploit, empower, energize our weaknesses, our fears, our sins, and get us to get trapped in their mesh, enmeshment and in the worship that they bring. And it takes us away from and hinders our enjoyment, the blessing, and the joy of God.
0: As listeners, if what are things that we can be aware of in our own lives that might show us that there is some sort of evil being oppressing us in some way mm-hmm. how do we know it's not just i'm neurotic or <laughs> <laughs> <You may be. laughs> yeah. yeah how do we know
1: yeah i that's a discernment process that i've gotten better at. just had more experience but what i listen for when i'm listening to people's stories i i i'll just use one i'm i'm going to be involved with it actually this week uh, a friend uh was talking with me and said, you know, I'm having this just racing mind type stuff and I just can't shut my thoughts down and they're just, they're violent, they're dark and I don't know what to do about that. Well, what I did is I began talking with her a little more deeply and, you know, what's going on? You know, because we can have self-talk, we can have psychotic stuff, we can have, you know, <laughs> neurotic stuff uh, that could come from it. It could be biology I and mean, it could be all kinds of different things but one possibility is there is that you have a demon who's injecting spiritual energy and fear into your system. And if that's so, uh, what I'm listening for, the basic things, I'm listening for accusing voices, you know, you're, a, you're so fat. You nobody would ever love you. You'd be better off dead kind of stuff. And there are a lot of variations on that. I listen for oppressive presences. Which could be, I just felt this thing on me, I couldn't even move, or there was this really dark thing in the corner of my room, or something like that. And then of course I'm listening for occultic involvement in people's background. And when I hear those things, I just go I come back and say, Well, tell me more about that. And the key is, I'll give you the short version, the key is that demons do not like to be looked at in the name of Jesus. Like Time they don't like to be looked at in the name of Jesus, and they'll react. And when I start focusing on the demon with a person I'm walking with, uh, the demon will start reacting. It'll want to get out of there, it'll start talking to the person. I mean, they'll hear it in their mind. Lots of different things can happen, but a demon is a personal presence in or around somebody, and when you start looking at it, it will act like another person. Now, it's way too simple. If it's me, if it's my self-talk, my negative self-image, or maybe my internalized mom or dad or something, or my critical pastor or something, it's self-talk and it feels different. And I find people in the name of Jesus can tell the difference between self-talk and something else. If it's that something else, I just do you think I, they? If it's a demon, we can just come to the reality that we are children of the Lord Most High. Second, or Chronicles, get it right, Colossians 2, 13 through 15, there are seven things there that are true of every single human being. All our trespasses have been forgiven, nailed to the cross, and the rulers and authorities have been disarmed, so they don't have authority over us. Then we can follow the pattern of Jesus, who quotes Scripture out loud to the devil and tells the devil to get away. We can do that. And I, that's what I help people do, that sort of thing a lot.
0: So we can do that for ourselves. We don't need to go see you or a priest or some, an exorcist if we feel that something is oppressing us from the evil realm.
1: I do find it's helpful, like any kind of sin or any kind of addictive behavior, to do it with a friend. And doing it alone, we can get trapped and lost in the lies or whatever's going on. I think having a friend with us in any of those kinds of things is helpful, but you don't have to have a friend to do it, and you certainly don't have to have some deliverance person to work you through it.
0: So what if we're listening and we we believe in this evil realm and evil beings because maybe we've experienced it a little bit, but we're not sure about Jesus? What hope is there for us? And have you taken people through kind of a deliverance process who don't want anything to do with Jesus or just don't believe in him? Yep.
1: Yeah, I have. Uh, I had a woman get in touch with me. I was at a conference at a Multnomah County thing, and I was talking about some of the stuff I've done. So she called me, and said, I've got this demon, I've had it for a long time, and I don't want it anymore. Uh, I've made contact with a Native American shaman over at Warm Springs, and he said he helped me get rid of it, but it cost me $5,000. I understand you work for free. Could I talk to you? (laughs) 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 And uh, I, well, mixed motive here, but I said, are you seeing counseling? Yes. Could I talk to your counselor? Can I release some information? She said, yes. Trinidad, the counselor, was a believer, and we became Mm. closer. Friends, mm-hmm. But here's a woman who, uh, interesting woman, I mean, she was very artistic and, and just bright and fun to be around, but she had this demon and she knew about it. She'd called it up in a ritual she'd done back in, mm. in high school days, but it was just really harassing her. And in that process of looking at the demon in Jesus' name, with her cooperation, I just don't jump down the people's throat, she saw the power of Jesus at work and she became a believer after we got rid of the demon, but that was done in the name of Jesus with me, with her cooperating, but me mm. doing it the way Jesus does in Scripture. That's a little unusual, but, you know, you don't have to be a believer in Jesus to deal with that, but I do think somebody needs to want be willing to have Jesus help you do that And then when they see the power of Jesus, of course, I want to do is get involved with the rest of the help of Jesus. And I find people are pretty open when they see the power of Jesus to release them from a demonic attachment.
0: Mm. Yeah, I guess in a more um, power fear culture, that would be more normative, but we just don't, we might be experiencing that on a daily basis, but not talking about it, right?
1: What I'm finding as I watch the culture around us is our culture is moving more and more into a power fear environment. Uh, it's 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 them, whoever them is, depending on your political, and there's more and more fear going on in our society and more and more anger and response. And what I'm finding is there's a growth in the movies and music videos and uh, video games that are uh, demigod and demon-based. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding more and more people are now afraid of the spirits because they're seeing more of that in their entertainment side. And what I'm finding is I'm seeing more and more people who have direct attachment to the demonic Is it's becoming more common in our n- popular culture.
0: Is Fortnite one of those video games? Because <laughs> my boys play it. It has Hi. guns in it, Gary. But you're not really dying. You're, you respawn. <laughs> have you heard that term? And, I it, have. and it's and there's no blood. <laughs> I
1: I don't do video games. I mean, I'm not opposed to them, mm. particularly. I just have other things to do in my life. <laughs> I, I I have very strong reaction to first person shooter games when yep. you're hunting other humans. I can't imagine that being a good thing. Mm. But I don't really like to be hunting demons and demigods either. Mm. I I'm, I'm nonviolent by mm. by personality and by theological persuasion. So most of the video games are something I just I'm just not gonna go there. Mm-hmm. But I've got good friends who are experts in Fortnite. So you have to ask them about that particular game. But my thing is I'm if I'm trying to kill things, why am I trying to kill it? And to me if it's entertainment, I think that's the wrong kind of entertainment. Mm-hmm. We should feast our imaginations on things that are good and noble and beautiful and I want to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. I like the way you said that. Well, Gary, what else would you like us to know about your experience with Halloween, with spiritual warfare, with the demonic realm? Uh,
1: Biggest thing is I want to know the power of Jesus. And I want people to have a real deep experience with the compassion and grace and love and freedom that comes in Jesus. And I'm sure there are people listening who don't even know really what I'm talking about. I'd love to have you get to know who Jesus is because he is the one who comes to seek and save that is lost. He comes to bring us a community and commitment in a lonely world. He comes to bring us protection in a fearful world. He comes to bring release and freedom and forgiveness. And he, the Son of God Most High, I'd love to have anybody who doesn't know him contact him. The other side is that when I'm going into the world where there is, I believe, demonic stuff there, there's not demons under every bush, but there are demons under some bushes. But it's a world where there's a lot of demonic stuff around. I come in the name of Jesus. I have, those demons are disarmed. And if I start playing with them, you know, that's like playing with fire. You can get burned. But if I come in the name of Jesus and I'm confident in my position in Christ, my sin is forgiven the the demons are disarmed, they're really no threat to me. Uh, But they can, like, ambush me and suddenly I find myself flooded with vileness or something. Mm. And I have the confidence I can say, get away in Jesus' name. And I have the authority to say that and and effect it. If that didn't work for some reason, then find a crew staff member or somebody to help you out. Uh, And the next step, if you want to do some more reading or research... I have a website at brashears.net, and you'll see down at the bottom of that, of what will appear on your screen, probably, there'll be spiritual warfare resources. And I've got quite a bit of stuff there that can be next steps for somebody to do, including a bibliography if you want to do a deep dive.